welcome to the Making a Runner podcast. I'm your host, Nick, a running specialist, biokineticist, and coach. And I'm your co-host, Leah, an everyday runner interested in women's wellness, and this is Making Her Runner. Here, we speak to coaches, athletes, and subject matter experts to take a deep dive into the world of running as a female athlete. Through the insights of our guests and the lens of personal experience, we look to help you improve your running and enjoy every step of the way. Wherever the road or trail may take you. This is how runners are made. How runners are made, baby. Oh yeah. People have lost trust in what their own bodies are telling them in terms of hunger cues, satiety cues and that sort of thing. They would rather follow a set plan and a set diet as opposed to actually becoming aware of what their body is signaling to them. Am I actually hungry? Am I actually full? Um, and that is obviously where an aspect of, you know, mindful eating and, you know, body awareness really does come into play and actually learning to trust your body um, in terms of, okay, my body is telling me I'm hungry. I'm allowed to eat, even though I did eat an hour ago. I mean, when I started running and that wasn't even, I mean, that long ago, you know, it was kind of normal for a female runner not to get her period. Um, and if you weren't getting your period, that was a sign that you were a legit runner, um, which obviously couldn't be further from the truth. Like a badge of honor. Um, 100%. And even things like stress fractures, you know, mm-hmm. if you've had a stress fracture, that means yo, you've done some proper training. <laughs> Nicola! Hello, Leah G. <laughs> Davey, did I, did I do that one any justice? <laughs> I think I think you did a fantastic job. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, man. Making her runner. And this time with our official first lady guest. Yeah, yeah, very exciting. We had such awesome feedback from our intro uh, a couple of weeks ago. So we're really excited for uh, this segment of the podcast. And to all the ladies out there, happy Women's Month. Happy Women's Month, girls. Oh yeah, long, long may it live. Yes, we've got a segment specifically for the female athletes out there. You know, Davey and I, Struggle to speak to that type of stuff. So we got <laughs> we got an expert, an expert female in. <laughs> You'll hear in the podcast. Give, give him some time. He'll come around. <laughs> I'll come around. But before we get on to today's guest, I want to ask you, how's your running been going? Oh my gosh. So I am right now, as we stand, a week out from my 10K goal race. I've been training up for this 10K ever since Two Oceans in April. And I'm pretty stoked. I've been able to be really consistent with my running this year, something that has generally been lacking in my training. And I owe a lot of that to nutrition specifically, but we'll dive into that a little bit more. Um, But there's a bit more to my 10K. So I wanted to go out for a PB, but As it happens, life has kind of got a little tricky in the last two weeks. I picked up a calf niggle. Uh, We had a bit of a family tragedy. And I don't know if I'm feeling quite snappy for a 10K, but I went into it wanting to make it more about Women's Day because it's happening on the 9th of August. It's the Total Sports Women's Day race. And I wanted to find a way to give back. So I've partnered up with the Red Movement and I've pledged this run to the movement. And you'll hear later in the podcast, there is a little bit of an ad drop in how you can also get involved and support the Red Movement. And even though I might not 
be able to go out and run a PB. Who knows? Maybe I can. Race day ah, feels are completely different. I'm really, really stoked to be going out there and running for the greater good. The Red Movement is just an incredible, incredible organization that looks to make period and menstrual equity the norm. And I'm just so proud to be an ambassador for their work. Yeah, I think it's been fantastic to watch your journey from from the side and and see exactly what that continuity and consistency that you're talking about. It's definitely made a big difference in your training. And that's why I always say that I think it is the number one most important thing that runners need is consistency. But in finding that consistency, I think that's where you mentioned nutrition was such a key role for you. And that's why we're excited for today's guest. But before we get on to that, as I say, what what was the penny that dropped in your nutrition journey? I can't identify a single moment, but more a collection of moments. And this is also something we'll dive deeper into within this episode is how it's not just that one meal that you did or didn't eat. And it's not just that one time that you (laughs) had that protein shake after your workout. It became more of a habit for me. And I didn't feel it initially, but I started building a routine around my nutrition and I started prioritizing my nutrition. I started fueling my body, not because um, I had to, but from I think more of a space of respect for my body and I really love what today's guest says and how she lives by her nutrition where she says fuel your body for the work required and that's what I started doing if I was going to the gym and hitting a hard workout I made sure that I ate immediately afterwards if I was going for a long run I made sure that I got up a little earlier and I had that peanut butter sandwich and a little banana on the side and yeah it was a bit difficult at first because my stomach didn't tolerate everything and I learned a lot through trial and error but the more I fed my body and the more I fueled my body, the more I could demand from it. And it it was just the synergistic relationship between fueling and working out. And even though I haven't figured it out 100%, I just found that my capacity to train grew hand in hand as I was fueling my body more and more effectively, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. It makes complete sense. I mean, when we say, you know, running improvements come through mindful running, being mindful of you're running, making sure that every single run has got a purpose. It's the same with your nutrition. You got to be mindful of your nutrition. You got to eat with purpose and know exactly what you're getting in, when you're getting it in, and how you're getting it in. So we hope that after today's conversation, you you have a little bit more of a clearer idea. So today's guest is really an exciting one for me because she was the first nutritionist to come on. She's a dietitian. She was the first dietitian to come on board. Dietitian and very high performing triathlete. Yeah, Mariela Sawyer, guys. You remember her from uh, one of the earlier season two episodes of Making a Runner. I think it was actually episode one of season two. Like it was that long ago. Yeah, it was a while ago. And we haven't spoken to her in a while. So much so that she is now currently pregnant. She's 21 weeks pregnant, which I mean, hits all the points for us. We get to speak to her about pregnancy. We get to speak to her about nutrition for females. So 
you know, it's it's a great conversation. I feel like it's such a broad topic and there's so much that we could have spoken about, yeah. uh, so much more that we can chat to, but I think we laid a solid foundation that we can then go and chat to her about specific topics. So ladies, if you do have specific topics that you want us to cover related to nutrition, please do reach out to us. Uh, pop us a message on our Instagram or send us an email at info at makingarunner.com and we'll gladly cover these topics going forward. Yeah, because like you said there, I mean, even in this conversation, we found it quite difficult to really fully discuss a topic before moving on to the next. And as so many of you reached out saying, you know, these kind of conversations are so necessary. So you can definitely look forward to three episodes during the month of August and then on an as and when basis, we look forward to delivering more in-depth insights and learning essentially how to become better, healthier and happier female athletes together. So thank you for being along for the ride and please send us your questions. Yeah, guys, but without any further ado, here's Mariela. We hope you enjoy it. We certainly did and have a fantastic Women's Month. I think Davey would say at this point, sit back, relax and depending on where you are in your cycle grab yourself a little something delicious and enjoy that's definitely not what david would say (laughs) (laughs) hey guys guess what we've got some thrilling news for you get pumped because the hollywood bets durban 10 kilometer race is happening on the 3rd of september right here in the heart of kzn it's going to be epic Picture yourself running alongside top-notch athletes, aiming for that personal best on a super fast route that's just perfect for crushing your 10K record. That's right. And to make it even better, you'll receive a high-quality t-shirt with your entry, a stylish souvenir to remember this fantastic occasion. Seriously, it's going to be a blast. So whip out your calendars and make sure that the 3rd of September is locked and loaded for the Hollywood Bets Durban 10km race. Trust me, Nick, you won't be disappointed. Entertainment and fun will be scattered along the route to keep the energy high. We're going to paint the city purple together with Hollywood Bets Athletics Club. And you've got to be there. Time's ticking, guys. Don't wait around. Head on over to racepass.com right now and secure your spot for this fantastic race. All right, guys, let's make it happen. See you all there. I see G, man. Let's run together. Mariela, thank you so much for being with us here today on the first episode of Making a Runner. Thank you so much for having me. Let's get started <laughs> uh, right in. Obviously, um, you know, we... As, as I said to you off air, you were the first dietitian that we had on the podcast, on the mainstream version of the podcast. So I think it's very fitting that uh, we start the conversation uh, with you over here uh, with regards to female physiology. And that's that's really where we want to focus this conversation. So just to, to, to start and not complicate things too much, um, I mean, what is the main differences between between male and female physiology when it comes to nutrition that you need to take into account as a dietitian? Sure. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's quite a broad question. <laughs> but obviously, as females, we go through more hormone fluctuations than males do with our, with our menstrual cycle. And um, that is probably the biggest thing that's often neglected. And a lot of the research that's done um, even though it gets applied to females, has actually been done in males. So that is an area that 
a lot of people tend to forget about because it does really affect um, things like performance, nutrition, fueling, and just how how it affects our general well-being and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think if we're chatting male versus female, I think the conversation of the menstrual cycle is definitely one that needs to be had. Um, and also how the different phases can affect us, um, what we can do in terms of managing and um, dealing with those hormone fluctuations from a nutritional point of view, because there are quite a lot of things we can actually do to to help um, with the, the symptoms or the the not so nice side effects we we females sometimes get um, with those hormone fluctuations. Yeah, and I, I think it's an important thing to intro Leah into this right now because um, one of the major things that she found has helped her in her running journey is getting her nutrition correct is that am I, am I right in saying that for sure I mean I am an everyday runner it's it's so nice to be speaking to somebody who is on the higher performance spectrum because obviously we're not all doing the same load and yes overtraining for me might be very different um, in terms of overtraining for you um, but what I found was really helpful in in my goals as a female athlete was really prioritizing my nutrition um, I would also just like to take it a step back and although we will really dive into and, and get quite deep into how we can support the menstrual cycle through training I think a lot of the the misunderstanding and the misconceptions come from people just not understanding how important food is for hormone balance and then also people not understanding what hormones are so if we can dive into and first just unpack hormones why they play such a such a big role and why they require food uh, to function optimally yeah um so I think the first thing we kind of need to look at are the different phases of the menstrual cycle. So mm. I'm just going to break it up into a, an easy to understand way. So um, from the first day of when the period starts up until around ovulation, so that's generally around the first two weeks of your cycle, um, give or take, um, obviously cycle lengths do vary. Mm. That's generally what we refer to as the low hormone phase. So you don't have... Um, very high hormone levels around that time. So that's generally when, you know, we feel quite strong um, and um, good in our training. Um, but one thing we do need to note is that it's very dependent on the, on the individual. So, you know, you get some people who feel amazing um, and you get some people who struggle. So we always need to apply to the indiv individual and also encourage, um, you know, females to become more aware of their bodies and also learn to track Mm. of how they're feeling during different phases of their cycle because often that gets completely neglected and no one really knows how do I feel when, um, what's going on, when is my period actually coming. So that's one thing I always really encourage is, as a first um, kind of port of call to start tracking your cycle and how you feel during different phases. And then after the, the low hormone phase, we obviously start going into the high hormone phase. So that's when your body starts building the uterine wall lining. Um, that's when the hormones start to um, to increase. And that's when, you know, there's often um, athletes who, who feel a bit more sluggish during that time. So, you know, you're not really hitting paces. Everything feels a bit more labored. And that's often as a result of those, of that increase in hormone levels. Um, and, 
there's a there's a lot of things one can do to to help with that. So in terms of nutrition, obviously, like I said, in the low hormone phase, you are we kind of call it the most like a man because we don't have as many hormones, um, you know, playing. going through yeah. our bodies. Yes, exactly. Um, so th- during that time, you are your body's able to, you know, use your endogenous carbohydrates fuel and stores really well. Whereas when we go into the high hormone phase, that's, that kind of gets less efficient. So you become a lot more dependent on exogenous fuel. So that means fuel that you actually need to physically take in. So your body is not as efficient at using the, the carbohydrates that are stored in your body, if that makes sense. So a lot of athletes find that they're more likely to, to experience a bit of a, a bit of a hitting of the wall during that time. Um, and the training does tend to feel a lot harder. You're also more susceptible um, to towards um, dehydration. So that's another thing. You know, if you're not on top of your hydration, that can affect you even more so. So during that time, focusing on, you know, really being intentional with fueling as well as hydration is even more important. Um, and you won't be able to get away with as much as you would maybe be able to get away with in the low hormone phase, if that makes sense. So if we're talking hormones right now, we're mostly talking about your sex hormones. We're talking about your estrogen. We're talking about your progesterone. Yeah. Um, um, what is it? Your LH, your luteal? Luteinizing hormone. Luteinizing hormone. LH <laughs> and LH. Yeah. yeah. So so those hormones, you're saying, obviously during your, your high hormone phases, your nutrition becomes extremely important in that phase to make sure that you're supplementing uh, because obviously you're not able to to get to your carbohydrate stores as well as what you are in your in your lower hormone phase. Now, when we're talking about supplementation in terms of nutrition, um, what certain food groups are we talking? I mean, let's let's talk about macros and micros. I think micros often get get put to the side. Uh, can you just give us a little bit of a rundown on that? Yeah, so I mean, when we when we're talking about food groups specifically, what you really want to make sure of is that you still, and I mean, this applies to the the whole as a twenty four seven sort of rule um, or permanent guideline rather that you should always be including all food groups, obviously, unless you're allergic to anything, um, to make sure that you're not depriving your body of anything. So for us females specifically, carbohydrates are very important. Um, and I know that that is something that a lot of female athletes specifically sometimes struggle with, um, especially when it comes to um, the high hormone phase where, you know, the, the cravings for things like your chocolates or your donuts or the more refined food um, increases quite a lot. Um, but there's actually a reason behind that. Um, so it's not just that we we crazy sugar craving people it's actually because your body requires more energy during that phase because it's busy building the the uterine wall lining so that requires energy and hence your body is asking for more energy and if you are not meeting those energy requirements from your basic whole food diet it will default and turn into cravings for more easily accessible energy foods if that makes sense um and a lot of women forget about that. So it's actually important to include another snack into your day during that time to to manage those cravings and to manage your blood sugar and to also, you know, not neglect things like 
protein in your diet because that will, you know, keep you fuller for longer, manage your blood sugar spikes and dips and that sort of thing. Um, so I think that's also a big area when, when females actually realize, oh, okay, my energy requirements actually are a bit higher during that time. That all makes sense now as to why I'm craving um, more processed and easily accessible energy foods during that time. I think uh, pausing on the word energy over there is quite an important one as well, because obviously so many factors play into how much available energy we have for a day, um, how much sleep we've got, obviously focusing on nutrition in this conversation quite a lot as well, how we are fueling our bodies. And then second to that actually comes fueling our workouts, because if we're not meeting the macros yes. or the nutritional needs for just day to day um, kind of activities, it then becomes really, really hard to put training on top of that. And then not foregoing lifestyle stresses. As women, we play so many different yeah. roles. And I don't think we realize exactly how sensitive the system is to that and I think zoning on to actually tracking and understanding those symptoms is really a first place uh, a first point of call to start on because um, otherwise everything else just feels so much more overwhelming and it's also quite important to note I, I guess then that the stuff doesn't happen all at once. You don't become overtrained or chronically fatigued or um, a super athlete or underfueled overnight. You know, this this happens slowly over yeah. time. And something that I got to understand was that the body then also adapts to that new level. So you're only really experiencing it at the most severe, but it is actually such a slow burn, such a slow process, right? Yeah, totally. And like what you touched on as well in terms of, you know, fueling your actual sessions um, is so important, especially, I mean, it's always important, but even more so in that high hormone phase. Um, like I mentioned, you can't get away with as much during that time. So it has an even more of a ripple effect in terms of how you're going to feel during your session, after the sessions, um, and throughout the day, uh, you know, and as well as in the sessions that follow throughout that week. Um so that's also really important to really be intentional about your fueling and actually have a plan. And it's often quite tedious to plan your nutrition and it takes a lot of effort. But like you mentioned, it's a slow burn. So even if you are, you know, undercutting yourself by, you know, even if it's just a few hundred calories per day, that adds up over time. And that can definitely have some yeah, some quite adverse effects on your training um, and, a, and a big ripple effect in terms of, the effects it has on your health. I think the the one the one word that you mentioned the the C word the the carbohydrate <laughs> word is like a t taboo word when it comes to female athletes a lot of the time, especially female athletes getting into running. Uh, I mean, we know a lot of the time running is an easy, accessible way to try and, and get out there, get fitter, and in the meantime, also lose a little bit of weight. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people get into running for weight loss, which I'm not a big fan of personally. Uh, I think weight loss obviously is a byproduct of running, but you're not supposed to be underfueling yourself. And now you're getting people that naturally aren't even fueling themselves enough to go about their day-to-day -day life. 
now introducing the stimulus of running and feeling like they still can't uh, put in the food that they should actually be getting in. They're getting into that state of, of chronic... Uh, the Underfueling. Pro- Underfueling, essentially. Mm. Um, so why, why are carbohydrates such an important thing for female athletes? And why do you think that it's, it's something that is so overlooked? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the reason why they're so important is because they are our primary source of fuel. So that is what our body defaults towards when it comes to utilizing energy. Um, and I think one of the biggest reasons why people are afraid of carbohydrates and fueling themselves adequately is probably a result of um, diet culture. And, you know, the method, I mean, there's always something different that kind of gets released in terms of the latest trend, but I think the message of carbs make you gain weight is one that's really stuck around and done some damage. Um, and I think there's also just a, a lack of knowledge in terms of requirement, energy requirements of um, you know active individuals. People just don't know how much their body actually needs in terms of carbohydrates, and they've kind of just you know start or stuck with comparing themselves to a sedentary individual. Versus actually looking at, okay, I'm a frequently active individual. I train regularly. Um, for some, it's even multiple times a day. And I need a lot more than just someone who, you know, doesn't do a lot of exercise. Um, so I think it's a combination of, you know, the messages of, of diet culture out there as well as just a lack of, a lack of knowledge around actual energy requirements. I completely agree with you. And I mean, I think that it's such a systemic problem, but at the same time, I do feel like it is steadily changing and carbs are becoming more widely embraced. And that's great to see. Um, Although I find as a woman, something that is still around that maybe isn't being unpacked enough is more the problem um, and the fear and aversion of high fat foods. And what I've also come to understand about my female body is that fat, fat percentage, body fat percentage, and then actual consumption of high quality fats is equally as important for, for female runners as is carbohydrates and protein. Can you maybe unpack a little bit on the role of fats in diets and especially that for female athletes? Yeah. So, yeah, like you mentioned, we obviously, I think this is yeah, something that people forget is that we have fats that are um, more beneficial for health and then we have the fats that are not as beneficial for health. So, obviously, if we look at healthy fats, it's things like, you know, your, your olive oils, your, your avocados, your nuts, your seeds and that sort of thing. And those are amazing anti-inflammatory foods um, that we definitely want to include in our diet, um, not just from a you know anti-inflammatory point of view, but also brain health and heart health. They play mm-hmm. such a massive role to make sure that everything's you know healthy there. And it's yeah, it's something that's definitely you know neglected a lot of the time. But like you mentioned, it's so important for, for female athletes to, to make sure that we're getting in enough healthy fats um, to support everything that's going on. And am I correct in saying that obviously having a healthy fat percentage is key in the hormone system functioning correctly? Yes. So they play, they play a massive role in terms of making sure that everything's functioning there as well. So it's, like, it's a combination of all all the macronutrients in terms of carbs, fats, and protein. So as soon as you start, you know, really neglecting one, it has a it has a total ripple effect on how it will affect everything else that goes on as well. 
Brilliant. Um, I want to ask, Mariela, now that we've sort of laid a nice foundation for understanding that, you know, the needs are required in terms of the timing of, of these foods. So now we're talking pre-run, during run, post run, uh, how does that work? And also in relation to your training load and your cycle, like now we're thinking there's so many things that we're going to take into consideration when we've got to think yeah. about what we're eating. Um, so how important is the timing of these things? It is important and it is definitely, it definitely can be very overwhelming if we, yeah, if we think about every little thing, but at the same time, it's also not that complicated. So the, the important thing is to make sure that you are fueling yourself at frequent intervals. So if we're chatting about your daily diet, you want to make sure that you are, you know, eating at regular intervals. And when it comes to, you know, fueling before sessions, that's when um, we want to focus on a more, you know, easily digestible carbohydrates. Um, and, you know, some people, you can add some um, something like nut butter, so that would be a healthy fat, or you can add a bit of protein. But if it's quite a hard session or quite a long session, you really want to prioritize your carbohydrates. During your session, you would obviously do your fueling um, with your, your chosen products, which are will predominantly be carb-based as well. And then afterwards, that's when we want to look at making sure that you're getting in a good source of protein as well as carbohydrates, which is also an area where a lot of people tend to forget that it's not all about protein um, after a session when it comes to recovery. We also need to replenish our glycogen stores, which means we need to get in carbohydrates. Generally, the recommendation is to get, you know, the carb protein ratio at about three, three, four to one, if that makes sense. Um, so if you have three grams or four grams of carbs, you want to get one gram of protein. And most recovery shakes have that quite nicely. Um, so, or you can look at, you know, making yourself a recovery smoothie or even make it with whole foods. That's also a great option. And then when you're looking at your main meals, so let's say you've done your morning session, you've had your recovery shake, then you have your mid-morning snack and your lunch. That is when we want to look at, okay, how can we get in more diverse foods like foods that are higher in fiber, so your whole grain, carbohydrates, um, your vegetables, lean sources of protein, because obviously those types of foods are not as beneficial, if I can put it that way, before a run, because they are very likely to sit quite heavy in your stomach, so not the best choice to make before a big session. So that's why we want to time it nicely in terms of making sure we have that around lunchtime um, or rather, you know, a few hours after your session and before your session. Um, so it all in terms of timing, it all depends on when is my next training session, um, making sure that you're not having, you know, a very high fiber meal directly before session, but rather focusing on, you know, a more carb, easily digestible carbohydrate directly before session, as well as then making sure that you are fueling um, and recovering right after the session. Yeah, for if sure. If that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's definitely something I've I've felt in my own training. And it's it's definitely happened yeah. through trial and We've error. We've all been there. <laughs> it has to happen through trial and error. And but hopefully, it has to be a lifestyle, right? It, it definitely does. Um, and I feel like there's value in learning from trial and error. The danger is when it becomes yeah. chronic and Something that I would like to pause on while we are at timing is how important is it to 
break the fast if you are a morning runner? How, how important is it to actually activate this fuel energy um, cycle? And do you have to have a full meal or is something like a dried fruit or um, a piece of toast enough, even though your actual output is going to be a lot more than in the session than what you're actually eating in the morning? Are you ready to make a difference through your passion for running? This Women's Month, we're teaming up with the cause that's close to our hearts, the Red Movement. Their mission is to create menstrual equity by providing menstrual cups to girls in need across Africa. Here's the power of running in action. By supporting the Red Movement, we're using our shared passion for running to transform lives and ensure that all girls have equal access to education. And the ability to participate in sports. Giving back has never felt so good. Support the Red Movement during Women's Month by pledging a cup for 100 Rand and you will automatically be entered into a giveaway. Where you stand a chance to win a prize hamper worth 8,000 Rand. Visit my page at G or the Red Movement on Instagram for more information. Let's run together, change lives and make menstrual equity a reality. Yeah, so it's a, this is a bit of a tricky one because it's so dependent on the individual. Um, you know, some people will say, oh, I can have a whole bowl of oats um, and go run and I'm totally fine. Some people will, will come see me and say, I can't have anything. So, you know, for the latter individual, I would then start them off at very small things, like just get them to have something tiny, like even if it's, you know, a bite of a banana or like you mentioned, um, something small like a, like a little, a little bar or whatever it is that they are able to get down, even if it's something like a handful of jelly babies. Jelly babies are carbohydrates. If you are able to eat those versus nothing, I would rather have you eat those before your session um, than nothing. But why? Why is and it so important? Also, Sorry, but why? No, no. <laughs> so obviously we've slept throughout the night and we haven't eaten, so our body has been fasting for X amount of hours. So your glycogen stores will not be topped up. So if you're not having anything to eat, you will go into your session already being on a, on a bit of a back foot, if that makes sense. Okay. So then you're going on to, to run your session and or complete the session and you might, you might get through the session and feel somewhat okay. But what then tends to happen is after the session, it's very possible that you won't feel that great and it has a ripple effect in terms of how you feel throughout the rest of the day. So like we mentioned, it's tiny things that will, you know, bring about that cascade of, of um, negative um, effects, if I can put it that way. And, you know, what a lot of people find is by not fueling adequately in terms of before their sessions, they then are extremely hungry the rest of the day. Nothing they can eat will fill them up. Mm. And that then obviously also affects your training that follows. So it's not just, you know, thinking right now, it's also thinking ahead in terms of fueling and what is going to happen. Um, So that's why it's really important to think of the bigger picture and not just think of, oh, but I'll get through my run or my session without having eaten anything. I'll be fine. Mm. But how are you going to feel that afternoon? How are you going to feel the following day? And obviously, we also need to think about what type of session are you about to do? You know, if it's a really big session, then it's even more important to fuel because you are very likely to not get through your session as efficiently um, as you would have had you fueled yourself beforehand. 
No, that's, uh, yeah, I think it's such a crucial element that people don't get right. But one, once you start doing it and you start to feel the benefits of it, it makes a yeah. huge difference to your training because, A, you can put that massive session in and feel good doing it. But I think the part that you mentioned that most guys don't understand is the recovery. And if you feel correctly throughout that session and you recover correctly with the right nutrition thereafter, you'll be prepped and ready for your next session a lot better, which goes on to the, yeah. you know, the, the question that I'm trying to build up to, which is the overtraining side of, of things. So I think a lot of ladies overtrain because they, they feel like they perhaps hit that plateau and now they, they, the only way that they think they can get better is by doing more. Mm, pushing with, through. Pushing through, pushing through the fatigue. So w when we're talking about overtraining, obviously there's different signs of overtraining, but especially when it comes to nutrition uh, and, and the female athlete triad, um, th there's big elements that nutrition plays a big role in. Um, how do we, how do we highlight the female athlete triad and how do we get on top of it from a nutrition perspective? Uh, I know it's, it's a very broad question. Again, this topic is broad, uh, but I think just, just speaking to the, to the fact that most people are overtraining, that's one element of it and underfueling. Because um, they're underfueling maybe. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I think one big thing, and it's definitely, there's, you know, there's a lot more awareness being built around it um, as of, you know, the recent years, which is amazing. But I think a lot of people don't realize what the signs of, you know, relative energy deficiency in sport actually are. For example, you know, when, I mean, when I started running and that wasn't even, I mean, that long ago, you know, it was kind of normal for a female runner not to get her period. Um, and if you weren't getting your period, that was a sign that you were a legit runner, um, which obviously couldn't be further from the truth. Like a badge of um, honor. <laughs> 100%. And even things like stress fractures, you know, it definitely also has a bit of a, um, a badge of honor attached to it as well. If you've had a stress fracture, that means yeah, you've done some proper training. Um, and you know, all of those things like, you know, frequent injuries, niggles, getting sick a lot of the time, um, absence of a menstrual cycle. Those are all signs of, you know, chronic underfueling. And even something subtle like if you find yourself being grumpy a lot of the time, and generally it's the significant others or the family members that pick up on this one. Um, I'll keep quiet. That is also a sign. <laughs> that's also a massive sign that, you know, you very likely not fueling yourself enough. So, you know, I think it's also a big thing of making sure that people actually understand what are the signs of under or chronic underfueling um, and taking it from there because, yeah, the building awareness around it is so important. And you mentioned, obviously you mentioned the period, right? So essentially you guys bleed out <laughs> once a month, right? <laughs> And I, 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 that's my guy's can point you, of view. Can you but, hear our eyes rolling? <laughs> but I, I, I want to ask, from a supplementation perspective, is there is there anything that you know you can be supplementing, or can you get everything through your diet, like things like iron, and you know, is there is there anything yeah. to that? So again, it's a, I always say this, I feel like a broken record, but it depends on the individual. Um, but also, you know, I think it's, it's a good thing to touch on, which is supplements. A lot of people 
go to the supplements first yeah. without having looked at the foundation of their diet, which is what should be looked at first. That forms the basis of everything. And the supplements are, like the name suggests, there to supplement your diet. They're not there to, you know, to replace a whole food or, you know, to have some magical effect. Mm. If your your foundation isn't right, the supplement probably won't help you. And what's also really important is that we we test and don't get. So, you know, going, if you think that you are iron deficient, going to get the blood work done um, and actually knowing what is going on in my body to then be able to supplement accordingly if it is necessary. Um, but the iron deficiency, that's a, a very common one. Um, we've also been, you know, in terms of menstrual cycle specifically, you know, things like zinc and magnesium are also really important here. But yeah, again, it depends in terms of, is the individual meeting dietary requirements? Is there an actual deficiency? All of those things need to be looked at in detail before you can, you know, blanket subscribe. Like you say, it's it's so highly individualized. But if we are looking at the cycle in general and fueling accordingly, is it just as simple as eating more in the high hormone phases or as the cycle tracks let's for for simplicity's sake break it into four weeks obviously we have our irregular girlies and our girlies with longer longer um cycles but is there a recipe to follow in those four weeks like week one week two eat more of this that and the next thing or is it just more food as you enter those higher stage hormone weeks so there's no, um, you know, generic one-size-fits-all recipe, if, if I can put it that way. Um, there's also, the, the research is still kind of emerging around this. And what makes it so tricky is that it is dependent on the individual as well um, in terms of, you know, what will work for person A, won't work for person B, which makes it a lot trickier. And another big thing is also um, what I have personally found is people have lost trust in what their own bodies are telling them in terms of hunger cues, mm. satiety cues, and that sort of thing. So they would rather follow a set, you know, a set plan and a set diet as opposed to actually becoming aware of what their body is signaling to them. Am I actually hungry? Am I actually full? Um, and that is obviously where an aspect of, you know, mindful eating and, you know, body awareness really does come into play. Um, and actually learning to trust your body um, in terms of, okay, my body is telling me I'm hungry. I'm allowed to eat, even though I did eat an hour ago. So that is also really important to to mention, I think. Um, but then, you know, when we do go into the high hormone phases, you know, a good rule of thumb is to add an additional snack here and to, to really make sure that you are you know, staying on top of your fueling, especially during sessions as well, to make sure that you are, um, you know, navigating those those side effects, if I can put it that way. But again, like I said, it depends um, on the individual. Some individuals actually feel great in their high hormone phase as well, so they might not feel the effect at all. So that's where it gets a bit tricky in terms of saying this works for everybody, if that makes sense. Yeah, for but, sure. But I mean, we, we touched on uh, the 
we mostly touched on on the macronutrients, but when it comes to the, the micronutrients, uh, so so we know how important carbohydrates is, and you mentioned a few things like like your zincs and. Uh, how, can you just give us a little bit of a rundown on macros uh, rather than macros and how macros are important, just as important and uh, important to understand what certain food types have in them as well? Okay, so if we're looking at micronutrients, obviously there are a lot of them. Uh, so yeah, I think for those that don't know, micronutrients are things like your vitamins and your minerals um, and that sort of thing. And for females specifically, like we touched on um, just now, obviously the iron iron deficiency is quite commonly seen, and um, some other you know micronutrients or vitamins we want to also and vitamins and minerals we want to look at are things like your zinc, magnesium, vitamin D is also a really big one, which a lot of people, especially in winter, fun fact, don't actually get enough of, and you know looking at minerals. In terms of performance, what's really important, especially, you know, if we're looking at your menstrual cycle and the high hormone phase um, where you are more prone to dehydration, things like, you know, your sodium, your potassium, those are all really important to get in as well. Um, and another really big one for female athletes is also your calcium. So we all know calcium is often found in dairy, um, which has also seem to have gotten quite a bad rep over the years. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, false perceptions around it. And it's so important for us females to to um, get an adequate amount of calcium for bone health um, because we are more prone to, you know, osteoporosis and that sort of thing. Um, and if we are cutting our dairy, which is considered a food group, we are losing out on that calcium as well as vitamin D, which is also found in, in dairy um, and it's also an amazing source of protein. So mm. it's also packed with electrolytes. So it's really such a, you know, nutrient powerhouse um, that I think is definitely um, underestimated, if I can put it that way. But I'm not going to rattle through every every food no, and what's, sure. what's found in what food. But I think what a really good guideline is, is to kind of look at your plate and see, or your general diet and, and ask yourself, how colorful is my mm. diet? Do I only ever eat the same foods um, or do I add in some different colors, um, you know, from day to day? And you don't have to, you know, change it up at every meal, but you do want to try and add as much variety as possible. And uh, I mean, I don't know if this is a dietitian thing, but I think sometimes it's quite fun to actually count how many different foods or plant-based foods do I have on my plate? And the more, the better. So, if you are able to eat a very diet um, with lots of color, we say eat the rainbow, then um, there's a good chance that you are covering most of your bases when it comes to your vitamins and your minerals. Yeah, those micros. Um, having touched on micros, yeah. I don't know if antioxidants and antioxidant-rich foods kind of fall into the same group as micros because of their different mineral and vitamin qualities. But how important is it to prioritize antioxidant-rich foods in terms of supporting healthy hormone metabolism? Because this is also something that might not be perfectly understood is that um, hormones and especially estrogen and all those wonderful things actually need to be metabolized by your body. And if your other systems aren't working well, then those hormones aren't able to actually rise and drop as they're supposed to, hence longer cycles, more painful cycles. Do I have that correct? And where are we finding these antioxidants? Are they also just in those 
beautiful, colorful foods? Yeah, so to answer that question, um, so for example, vitamin C is an antioxidant. So you find your, you correct, you find your antioxidants in your, in your colorful foods, um, you know, your bright colored vegetables um, and fruits. I'm not talking gummy bears or anything like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, so it's important. That's why also, you know, that's why whole foods are so great because they contain such a wide variety of vitamins, minerals, and nutrition as a whole, whereas, you know, a, sing- a single supplement doesn't, um, if that makes sense. So, you know, it's not a matter of, oh, this food only contains one thing. It contains so many things. So, um, you know, your antioxidants are found in your, in your colorful fruits and your colorful veg. So that's why it's also so important to get a good variety in there um, and try to aim for about three cups of vegetables per day, which most people probably aren't getting in. And that will also, like you mentioned, support your hormone health because there are those little helpers, you know, that help to keep um, the car the car engine going, if that makes sense. For sure. Yeah, that's, that's brilliantly answered. I think it gives us such a nice wide variety and understanding of macros and macros. And I think the most important thing there is, generally speaking, and I know that it's different for every single person, but you know, you should be looking at your nutrition and the food that you're getting in prior to actually looking to supplement uh, over and above that because you can generally get everything that you need from just having a well-balanced diet. And speaking of yeah. well-balanced, what, what are your favorites? I mean, what what would you say is your go-to during uh, t- to get all these types of things in? Oh, this is where it gets good. I like talking about food. <laughs> <laughs> um, so generally what I do is and this is this is a tip that helps a lot of people to kind of plan their week so i like to sit down at the beginning of the week and i write down which meals i want to cook throughout the week well monday to thursday usually and then i kind of take a squiz at okay cool um am i do i have you know some different vegetables in there do i have a good variety in terms of you know whole grain carbs and that sort of thing and I think, you know, an easy trick is also look at your shopping trolley. If it looks pretty bland, um, then you should maybe be adding a bit more variety in terms of, you know, food groups and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, I I like to cook a, a whole array of different meals. The easier, the better. Um, but I definitely do try to change it up. And if it's not, you know, like I said, it doesn't have to be every single day. It can also be, you know, split over you know a week or that sort of thing i i love that answer and i i love the fact that we are encouraging people to enjoy food you know not only do we need to fuel we we need to eat and and enjoy food and the the more we can really embrace how beneficial food is for us i think a lot of these problems will become kind of like redundant and fade out and of course mentioning that every single topic we've touched on in this conversation could be an entire podcast all on its own it 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 is complicated it isn't blanket advice but before we start going into the latter stages of um, the podcast, I would also like to just highlight major changes because as women, obviously there are a few points in our life where there's big changes that happen. We go through puberty and that's a really big one that we could have a whole separate conversation on. And then as well, pregnancy. Pregnancy, growing a whole new human um, 
having that human, how we recover from that. And I think you might have an inkling yeah, yeah. with regards to that topic. <laughs> I think, Mariela, you, you have a little bit of an idea. I know you, you, you're figuring it out as you're going along. But guys, Mariela is pregnant. Woo! Congratulations. How, how, how many months? How many months are you? Um, I am... 21, I mean, now it's all about weeks. So yeah, we're 21 weeks. Sorry, so sorry, call continue. it halfway. <laughs> halfway through the process. Cool. So, so now we're going to basically go into like major changes, as Leah mentioned. So now, obviously needing to fuel your body and fuel a growing human being in your body um, and still obviously still training. Um, and still be nice to the people around you. <laughs> how do you do it? <laughs> we try our best. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, with pregnancy, I think oh, it's, it's such a roller coaster, and I think the easiest is probably to split it up into the into the three trimesters. I think because, well, from my personal experience and from what I'd heard before, the first trimester is all about survival. So there are all these amazing guidelines out there in terms of meeting this requirement and that requirement. But the reality is if, you know, you're someone who, who really struggles with morning sickness and that sort of thing, mm. you're just trying to get through it. So all you need to try and do is, you know, get in some form of energy. Um, I mean, personally, I really struggled with that. So things like, um, you know, protein foods, I just couldn't stomach Um it was mainly just dry carbohydrates, so things like toast with jam or some honey, um, pasta or that sort of thing. Um, and then obviously you you do take a prenatal, so you hope that that carries you through. Um, but that's, that's what makes it re a really tricky thing, you know, to kind of navigate the fact that you're not feeling well, you know that you would probably benefit from eating, you know, a good wholesome meal, but you can't actually stomach it and keep it down. So those are all some interesting things um, that you kind of learn to navigate as you go. And then I guess also having some form of grace for yourself through this period to know that over and above what your body's going through, not being able to feel, you're probably having dodgy sleep, you're uncomfortable. Having the, I think grace is the right word, yeah, but knowing that your training will change, you're not going to be able to output the exact same amount that you were before. And yes, you are only going to get bigger and more uncomfortable and all these things. So you probably <laughs> want to do as much of it yep. as you want to <laughs> in that first trimester. Have you found that to be true? I mean, speak to us about your personal experience with training, because like we said, you are a high performing triathlete. How has that been? And how's the mental and emotional side of that been too? Hmm. So for me, you know, I always, I think we all have some sort of um, like fairy tale way how we picture our pregnancy will go. Um, and I mean, I was always hoping that I would be able to train pretty much, you know, still, still keep a pretty good training volume throughout my first trimester because obviously that's where, you know, things aren't starting to expand. You're not, you know, your tummy's still small. But yeah, I was hit with reality very quickly. And I actually, from week eight until around week 15, 16, I didn't do anything because I was just really struggling with the nausea and the sickness. Um, I actually, I lost quite a bit of weight because of it as well. So it was really challenging for me because 
you do have an identity um, as an athlete in terms yeah. of your training. So it was quite hard for me to kind of be bound to the couch, not be able to train um, and navigate that because I kind of also felt, you know, like a bit of a useless human being. I wasn't able to, to do what I usually do, um, you know, mundane tasks like washing my hair would be so tedious. Um, and that would then kind of ripple effect into how how you felt about yourself even more so. You're like, I can't even wash my hair. How am I going to take care of a child and train? Um, so, yeah, the struggle was real. So I definitely think it's not just a physical struggle, but also a mental one. Also because you're not telling that many people around that time. So, you know, it's, it sometimes does definitely feel quite lonely during that time, which was also really hard. So luckily, you know, you do, it does get better if anyone's listening and is in that phase right now. Um, if, so that was another tricky thing. You don't know how long it's going to last for, right? So with a tummy bug, you're like, oh, cool. I'll be fine in a week, <laughs> usually. But with this, you're like, uh, and then you've got people telling you, oh, I was sick until 20 weeks. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm only at week nine. Um, so that was a, a tough one to navigate as well. But I mean, I'm definitely feeling a lot better now and I'm in more of a routine, but in terms of training, but it's definitely a lot less, um, you know, um, I'm also not quite able to run as much. Because obviously, you know, the weight is pressing down on the pelvis and yeah. things are changing. The, the belly is growing. Things are getting softer and squishier. And it's, yeah, it's a, the clothes aren't fitting. And it's, yeah, it's an interesting time to, to go through. So naturally, now my next question would be, okay, you, you have clearly got through the worst of it, inverted commas over here. I have no ex no idea of what you're experiencing, but you are clearly speaking from a, a, a place of a bit of hindsight. Um, what are you going to be doing going forward? Because obviously how you found solace is going to be very different um, for every single woman. So there's no point in really expanding on that. But now that your training volume has decreased in terms of endurance, are there other ways that you can support your body through this process and kind of shift into maybe a more specific focus through through pregnancy in general? How are you actually training your body and supporting your body now? So um, the tricky thing was is that I was not only pregnant, when I started up again, I was also now very unfit. So mm -hmm. <laughs> that was something to, um, obviously muscle memory is there, but you know, your fitness does tend to disappear if you don't do anything over a couple of weeks. So we just started, my coach and I, um, we just started with like easier sessions and we're slowly increasing it. But again, I think the most important thing is to listen to your body. You know, you know your body best. You know that if you need a, re a rest day, um, then you must take it. Um, so while I am on a program and that sort of thing, I'm very, you know, cautious in terms of what my body is telling me. So that's definitely something that's, um, that I'm more aware of now. Um, but at the same time, at the moment, I'm feeling really good. So, you know, the training has been going well and we are on a consistent program if I can put it that way even though it's a lot less in terms of where I'm at fitness wise and that sort of thing it's definitely you know appropriate has your why changed for this period sorry before we move on to anything else I mean because obviously you are 
trying to now train through through your pregnancy as best as you possibly can, but you're not exactly training for an event. Has your why changed for training and has being connected to that why helped? Um, I think my why is probably pretty much the same. I mean, I love to train, so it's something I enjoy doing. And I think that's also something that I really noticed when I wasn't able to do it, that I actually just love the process of, you know, swim, bike, run and training hard. Um, so I think in terms of why I'm doing it, it's definitely still the same reason, but you're also thinking of things like it's also healthy for the baby if the mom is fit. I mean, there's, I believe there's quite a lot of research out there to show that, you know, fit parents, um, it has a really positive effect on your child's health as well. Um, so those are definitely things I also think about. And I think it's also important in terms of, you know, prepping for birth. I mean, I don't think we can take that one lightly. I feel like that's probably, we can probably call that an event in and of itself. So, <laughs> it's a different, um, different, different kind of ultra endurance yeah. event. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's just say I'm training for that at the moment. But also... Um, I think also, you know, I would like to return to racing afterwards. So, you know, I wouldn't want to just sit on the couch throughout my whole pregnancy because the comeback, even though I don't really like that word because you're a completely different person after giving birth, but your journey after having a kid and returning to racing is likely to be a lot smoother and somewhat easier if you have managed to maintain some sort of fitness throughout pregnancy. And, and Mariela, that's exactly where I want to I wanna ask you now. Obviously, in your practice and having dealt with, with many women in the past, have you dealt with women coming off of pregnancy, wanting to get back to, to fitness, but also wanting to get back to their previous body type and struggling mm. with that physically, mentally? What, what can you do from a nutrition perspective? Sure. I think, yeah, that's a bit of a loaded question. <laughs> but I think... Um, I think what we need to realize, and I'm also still navigating this now, is that your body is not going to be the same. So I personally believe that I'm personally also not a fan to strive towards a certain aesthetic. So I'm all about fueling your body for the work that it's doing and for performance, whether you look like person A or person B, it doesn't matter. Um, So I'm not really a fan of being like, okay, I'm here to see you as a dietitian. This is what I want to look like. This is what I want to get back to. Because the reality is your body's probably never going to look the same again. You, you are a completely different person. Um, I mean, you've given birth to a human, which is amazing. Um, but at the same time, I think it's also really challenging. Um, you know, I can now sort of relate in terms of how things are changing. Like you, you don't really recognize your body and it's, I think it also takes time to probably get used to that. Um, and if we think about it, it all happens so quickly. I mean, nine months, not really a long time. And your body changes so much in that short period of time. And then it's completely different to what you were used to for your whole life. Um, and now you need to kind of just deal with it. I, I really love that. And it's it's a, it's a really core message. And unfortunately, it is something that you can only really understand when you're going through it and it is such a broad topic i would love to elaborate on this even further and we'll have to do that in a follow-up episode yeah, maybe but in nine months time from <laughs> now <laughs> once you've recovered once you've had your event and you, you <laughs> but in closing i mean 
just bringing it all together again, what we're really saying is food and fuel is there to support you and to enable training. And in order to keep meeting your your goals, you need to fuel adequately, but you also need to listen and, and meet yourself where you're at, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. So yeah, you summed it up perfectly. So fuel your body for the work that's required. Enjoy your food. It's also not just fuel. It's also there to build memories around and connections. Um, and yeah, don't be scared to, to fuel your body. I love that. Brilliant, Mariela. I think that's that's awesome. We really appreciate the conversation and your your insight, and um, I think it's going to be such a such a great conversation for people to hear. And you know, it sets a nice foundation that mm-hmm. the, we can then dive into into deeper topics, specifics of certain topics. I mean, like you said, a lot of the things that we asked you have been very broad, and it, and it's hard to give a broad term and a broad answer. And it's uh, for this person, it might not work, but perhaps in future we. We can dive into very more, very much more specifics. But for now, uh, we wish you all the best with the, with the remainder of your training for your event. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You'll win. <laughs> You'll win a whole baby. <laughs> your whole best prize. <laughs> and uh, we'll chat to you soon. But thank you so much. All the best. And uh, we appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Mariela. Thank you for listening to another episode of Making a Runner. We hope you enjoyed it and found value in the show. Don't forget to rate and leave a review on your favorite streaming platform. And remember to share with your running buddies. Follow our journey on our socials and feel free to engage with us on all things running. We wish you a pleasant run wherever the road or trail may take you. Bye for now.